Welcome to the Fraser Valley Workcast, a podcast produced by your WorkBC Abbotsford Admission Centers. My name is Kevin, and as your host, I welcome specialists from the WorkBC cast or special guests to explore challenges affecting the Fraser Valley job market and how your WorkBC team can help. Before we get started, I would like to recognize that we are conducting our business today on the unceded and traditional lands of the Stalo people, particularly the Sumas, Skowlitz, Matsqui, Kwantlen, and Lakamo First Nations. I have a very special guest with me today, and I'm delighted to have Len Pierre with me on the Fraser Valley Wordcast. And Len, welcome. Um, we're going to we're going to talk about your story. Uh, hear your story. So I'm I'm not really able to introduce you. So please, please tell us about yourself. Tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up, uh, your background. Uh, I think this story is going to be amazing. I'm 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 ready to hear your story. Yeah, absolutely. And I can start just by saying, Heichka, thank you so much for for having me to share a little bit about my story and and a little bit about uh, the things I have learned, I will say, um, about Indigenous cultural safety and humility and decolonization and the important work of, of reconciliation. So my name is Len Pierre. My ancestral name is Polikuluk, and I am Coast Salish from Katsi First Nation, which is one of the land base and host nations here in the lower mainland of colonial British Columbia. I am a consultant for Indigenous cultural safety and humility, reconciliation and decolonization for any willing uh, corporate organization uh, throughout North America. Um, I've been doing this work uh, for about six years now. Um, My story really, I would say, I I always say that I'm like an accidental consultant. I kind of just stumbled across (laughs) this this work. Oh really? Um, And I don't think that I chose it. I think it chose me or at least the organizations and people I've I've worked with for the last six years have really just been like, can you come here? Can you attend this meeting? Can you host a training session for us? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Um, So I I started off as, as a career off the side of my desk really. But to really explain my story, I guess, would be to a- absolutely explain where I, I grew up. Yeah. Um, I always say that I'm a culturally privileged person. Hmm. Now, as an Indigenous person, what that really means is, and I'm just going to be honest, not every single Indigenous person today knows exactly what it means to belong to their Indigenous heritage, their hmm. Indigenous culture, their Indigenous language because of colonization and the residential schools where it was forced yeah. out of us, beaten out of us actually. Mm-hmm. And so I say that I, ha- I am fortunate and blessed and privileged to be able to grow up in my community on the reservation with access to elders and knowledge keepers, um, language keepers. Um, and so through that, you know, I had a really strong cultural education from yeah. my grandmother, my father um, and in my community. So within that, I have a very strong Katsi identity. I know what it's like to be a Katsi man in the 21st century. I know what that means. Um, within that too, growing up Indigenous is really hard because <laughs> yeah. you're trying to hold on to your culture and your heritage. And then at the same time, you're trying to survive and thrive in a Canadian Western-based kind of system. Mm. Um, and the two worldviews and the two cultures don't always necessarily marry well or blend right. well. Yeah. Um, so, 
that's where I, I grew up was was on my little First Nation community called Katesy on a little tiny island called Barnston Island in the middle of the Fraser River um, that's located between these huge growing municipalities, uh, Surrey, Langley, and uh, Pitt Meadows and Maple Ridge. Right. And so to me, it was kind of like growing up on Never Never Land. Um, you're cut off from the rest of the, the, the uh, urban uh, metropolis, I guess. Uh, it's quite rural and remote. Uh, so within that, it was just a really unique upbringing. Um, how I got into, you know, um, consulting really yeah, was yeah. about um, my background is primarily in the area of teaching. I wanted to be a grade four teacher in, in high school. That's what I wanted to be. Really? Um, so I went to school to study teaching. Um, I wanted to be a grade, grade four teacher, um, but it never really worked out for me. I dropped out in my third year of university studies at UBC. Um, and I ended up enrolling into a television and radio broadcast program. Uh, because I wanted to be a broadcaster, um, but that never worked out. Uh, finding my way into working in healthcare right. curriculum focused. Yeah. So my background is in designing uh, curriculum. And um, the First Nations Health Authority at the time said, hey, we need a curriculum designer to uh, transform our curriculum from a very Western biomedical model to an indigenized kind of model. And so I did that and found out that I had a gift and a talent for it. And then so I'd be invited to speak to organizations all across British Columbia to talk about indigenizing their curriculum. And so as long as I started indigenizing curriculum, I had to teach that curriculum at yeah. the same time. So through teaching and designing educational programs, I found this unique uh, skill set of mine to be able to hold space, facilitate and consult with people who have almost no idea of, of our indigenous experiences and then support them in a way to transform their own systems, to decolonize, to be more culturally relevant, to be more culturally safe, and to reconcile with local indigenous communities. So that's it's kind of like there's this like incremental step-by-step -step process yeah. that I had no, like I didn't plan this. This wasn't in my, you know, career <laughs> plan. It, it kind of just stumbled into this amazing, beautiful career that I have today. Wow. Okay. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. That is, it's, it's just a privilege to, to hear somebody's story. And uh, it's a, it's, it is a gift. Thank you. Um, when I think about your career development, you know, I, I have all, a whole bunch of questions for you, but I'll stick to one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick just to one. What would you consider to be two or three crucial um, employment experiences that, that really were formative for you, that shaped you, that, mm -hmm. that really helped you see, um, uh, or I guess maybe you see, you see them as cr crucial points in time in informing you and, and putting you on this path to where you are today? Mm -hmm. I would say what has really put me on this path was this amazing, I think mentorship has been the, the key thing. And even people who would just engage and just open up their doors to me. Like I remember my very first employment experience was with uh, the Surrey Museum. Uh, because I was looking for work experience and my career education teacher at the time was like, okay, well, what do you want to do at that time? You know, before I wanted to be a, a grade four teacher, I, I actually wanted to work in anthropology, which is funny because anthropology is all about culture, right? And now I yes. teach culture yeah. for a living. Yes. Um, so anyway, my career ed teacher reached out to the local museum and the museum's like, yeah, we'll take, we'll take Len Pierre from KC First Nation. I think that's a really good. Um, so the fact that they opened up their doors for me to me at 14 years old. And, you know, I've got the ins and outs of how to operate and work in a, a local um, small, albeit 
museum was, 14. was really hmm? 14. Yeah, 14. That's amazing. Yeah, it was a work experience program. And, and you know, I knew, and this is one of the things within uh, our Indigenous community too, is we just need opportunities. We need opportunities for people to open their doors to us, to invite us in yeah. and show us what it's like to be in an organization that we might not have stepped foot in before. So I was 14 years old, so intimidated. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. It was like a fish out of water, right? Wow. But the fact that they opened up the doors for me and every single one of the staff people, all the managers and coordinators of the museum had a day with me where they sh I, I shadowed them for, throughout a day. And I found it so fascinating that I would ask like a million questions and I'd go home and I'd be like, okay, this is not what I want to do anymore. Only because it's for <laughs> it's creativity that other opportunities existed for me. So I think with engagement, like people engaged with me from a very early age and just said, yeah, come shadow me. So I look at that as mentoring, right? Yes. Mentoring yes. has been one of the most uh, foundational um, things. I would also say, you know, coaching has been, I've had incredible coaches uh, over the year, both cultural and professional. And now as an entrepreneur who has gone solo, I, I, I quit my day job to yeah, invest yeah. in my, my consulting business now. Now I've trained myself, right, to conquerors. Now I look for entrepreneur mentors. Um, I'm like, hey, is, can I do over coffee, over a Zoom chat? I have a couple of questions and I'm really looking for some guidance and, and mentorship. And that pumped my practice full of promising risky to, to go out as, as a consultant, to kind of have those people that are older than you, people that are experienced, that are seasoned, right? Those are two foundations of my career. Excellent. Although full to anybody, mm -hmm. uh, when we miss out on those, there are, there are definitely going to be holes in our life. We've started this, but we want to go. We want to go further. We want to ask some questions and ask the questions we we, we title like the, the why questions. Mm -hmm. And I, I think these are incredibly important today. And but, but not all of us understand, but we we want to. Yeah. And, and so that's that's really why we've invited you here. We, we want to understand. Mm -hmm. We want to hear from you and walk with you. So. When we think about something like cultural safety, why, mm -hmm. why do you think that's important today for, for example, in, a, in a, an employment services podcast to talk about cultural safety for the for, for a Fraser Valley audience, uh, mm -hmm. Abbotsford mission, employers, employees, job seekers, uh, community members at large. Why is that important? Please help us understand more like. Yeah, absolutely. And, and quite often with all of the clients and organizations that I support and, and coach on the side, I always begin with the why. Why are we here? Why, why should we be learning about this little thing called Indigenous cultural safety and humility? Um, and as adult, adult learners, that's one thing I've learned in my education is as adults, we need to know why we're, why we're here, why we're listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, so why Indigenous cultural safety really is um, addressing two things. Uh, number one is this thing called colonialism and colonization. Uh, Canada is a colonial state um, founded on colonial ideology. And so it's only natural that every single institution, organization and system that scaffolds and is born out of uh, this country is going to have colonial elements embedded into it. Right. Now, at the end of the day, yeah. uh, within colonial ideology, there are a lot of drivers for harm against Indigenous peoples. Um, and because of, you know, broken relationships between Indigenous communities and Canada as a colonial state, you know, there's some healing that kind of needs to be done. There's mm. also some reinvestment and trust building that kind of needs to be done. So we can't just do that willy nilly without, you know, being informed and being more aware. 
So cultural safety really is about uh, generating awareness about not just the past, like the residential schools, the 60 scoop, mm-hmm. land theft, and those mm-hmm. kinds of things, mm-hmm. but it's also talking about how systemic racism, discrimination, and institutional oppression are very much alive and well today yeah. in the healthcare system, the justice system, social services system, and even in the private business sector as well. Um, because of what I call this, another, the second factor is this, you know, we have this thing called Canadian socialization. A lot of people have this misconception that when we see anti-Indigenous racism in the news, in the media, we think that's an isolated event. Um, but we now have research and evidence to prove that, you know, those are hardly, they are never isolated events. A lot of the times the missing context is that Canada socialized every single Canadian citizen into having anti-Indigenous sentiment. Um, we taught in the local uh, education system here in Canada for well over a hundred years, um, this idea that Indigenous peoples are savages, pagans, and naturally inferior people. And we have that, we have the experts from textbooks that that taught this. It was regular kindergarten to grade 12 curriculum. So that has serious ramifications for the future belief system of a society. So it's never an isolated event. It is a manifestation of Canadian socialization. So in that, there's a lot to unlearn about what we learned in, in, you know, depending on which generation you're coming up from it, if you've been exposed to that. There's also a long track record of erasing Indigenous peoples um, in the textbooks too, you know, depending on which generation Mm. you're coming up from, you know, just think, you know, how much opportunities did you have to learn about Indigenous people in kindergarten to grade 12, right? And for those of you who went to post-secondary, how much did you learn about Indigenous people? You were really lucky if you did, right? So, you know, that's what I call colonization and Canadian socialization. And so within that, there is a lot of anti-Indigenous sentiment that makes systems and organizations unsafe, culturally speaking. And so cultural safety is an outcome that uh, addresses uh, power imbalances that are natural in Western systems. And it aims to address and reduce and eliminate uh, prejudice and discrimination uh, against Indigenous folks. So while cultural safety is an outcome, how we get there is by building anti-racism and anti-oppression strategies for any willing organization. And of okay. course, now, now in the time of truth and reconciliation, there are actually a lot of mandated disciplines where it's now coming down to the local colleges and how the, some disciplines are standardized, right? Physicians yeah. now have a standard. Uh, nurses now have a standard, right? To learn and unlearn through uh, an, an indigenous cultural safety lens. Wow, this is this is a lot to take in. Mm-hmm. And, I know. You know, I think I, th- I think of Canadians like myself who have grown up here. I think of Canadians who have moved here, who have become citizens, and have have really not been educated here, but they mm-hmm. bring they bring their families here, and mm-hmm. then their their children are educated here. And I know things have changed, in the, and and the curriculum, for example, is changing. Uh, yeah. in a big way in, in BC um, for, for our uh, K-12 system. Um, and yet uh, there's still, we, we as adults who grew up with, like you said, these textbooks that either erased it mm-hmm. or showed a very negative view, mm-hmm. a racial, a, a very racist view. Mm-hmm. Um, we, need, we, need, we need some help here. We need mm-hmm. to learn. We need to learn. Mm-hmm. And um, when you think about um, the importance of this, this the, the context in which we're talking here, 
career development yeah. uh, and uh, helping people find their way forward into a, into a career, into their next job, into learning how to apply for a job, learning how to keep a job. Um, this, this labor market we find ourselves in um, isn't isolated from our indigenous communities, our neighbors. Mm-hmm. How do how how do we or, or uh, I should say the why, the why question again is why is truth and reconciliation so important in terms of the 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 labor market the economy the the employment the employer yeah. can you can you speak some more about that please yeah absolutely I think when the relationship between the truth and reconciliation um, not just the calls to action but even just the concept and the idea and the intention behind reconciliation in this country really is just about uh, enhancing relationships with indigenous peoples and communities um, and so you know when we enhance our relationships with indigenous folks you know we are actively addressing historical wrongdoings. Mm. Um, so I always kind of look at it as if you are an employer or you are the leader of an organization or you were just a leader in, in your sector, then, you know, within that, you know, all leaders, we all have integrity about us, right? We want, there's an integrity, uh, a thing we hold to how we want to show right. up. That's ethics, right? We're talking about ethics here. Yes. Um, so when I look at you know, the conversation surrounding reconciliation, a lot of people think that it's about uh, proximity, right? I need to be, I need to know an Indigenous person to be able to reconcile. Well, actually, reconciliation mm-hmm. is about, you know, uh, rooting this, you, your work in good ethics, right? What do you, do you want to be a good Canadian citizen? Do you want to be a good leader, a good boss, a good, you know, driver for change? Are you um, invested in social justice, environmental justice? Reconciliation is a part of that too. So okay. I always like to say that really it's on the concept of self, the benefit and the purpose, the why for engaging in reconciliation truth and reconciliation is about enhancing your professional practice, right? Which we all as leaders to be a good leader is to constantly be in a state of evolving your exactly. professional practice. Yes. And Justice Murray Sinclair, who's the, the honorable Justice Murray Sinclair, you know, who is a Canadian Senator, he says, reconciliation is inevitable, right? And if we look back at, you know, the last decade, every single year, this uh, movement, this uh, change, and transformation in society is only gaining momentum. And as somebody who's been involved in this work for the last six years, I have not seen the uptake in engagement and learning and transformation as I have seen in the last six months. So this will have something to do with, you know, decision-making, governance, policy in our organizations, with our licensing, with our credentials, with the people that we are onboarding, when we're onboarding new employees, you know, they're going to come well equipped with knowledge and information about truth and reconciliation, about cultural safety, about decolonization. So for me, I say, you know, for us as leaders and employers and, and um, uh, of, of our organizations, it's a, it's a moment to get ready, right? It's a preparedness yes. for that change that is kind of coming. Um, and that's very lined up with social justice movements too, like Black Lives Matters and, you know, any kind of social justice, environmental justice. So I, it's an invitation to enhance your professional practice. Yes. And ethics. These are not topics we talk about too often in our uh, daily lives. Mm-hmm. Yet, and yet it's the foundation under there. It's just kind of, it's just kind of developed. It's mm-hmm. there and it draws into values, into practices into yeah. into how you speak to each other 
Yeah. It's how we're promoted. It's how we engage with other organizations. It's how we build partnerships. It's the foundation of how we interact with one another. So I find that to be like the through line, the linkage for where reconciliation, decolonization, and Indigenous cultural safety can exist because we are all professionals. We all do hard work, right? And this can only enhance your work. Excellent. Excellent. You know, we can we can move on from from why questions into, I think, some of the more practical as well. And mm -hmm. and I think if we if we look at this carefully, uh, we've got a whole other set of, of, of questions, a whole lengthy conversation that uh, I think we're going to we're going to call it part two of our podcast. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm excited to get into that with you as well. And mm -hmm. so I'm. Uh, this 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 whole area of why though, um, if you if you have if you have like one minute two minutes to speak to an audience and you want to you want to wrap this up, what, what what's on your heart? What what's what would you want to what would you want to tell them, Len? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I think that when it comes to you know overall the why, my two minute elevator uh, elevator speech. Yeah. Would be, you know why we're here is because of a lot of harms have happened, right? And I think that. A lot of the people that I speak to say things like, well, I'm not responsible for the past, right? Mm. Trying to distance ourselves from, from this good work. And I say, that's okay. That's all right, right? And I'm not responsible for the past either. You know, that's not really what we're talking about here. What we're really talking about is, you know, um, having a moral obligation to want to engage in making our world a little bit better than the, the way we found it, right? And I think that's something that we all can kind of get into. So when yes. we talk about the why, there's a lot of things to unpack. Um, state and structural violence against indigenous folks, Canadian socialization and how we have embedded a belief system that is anti-indigenous into the Canadian uh, belief system of everyday Canadian citizens, the forced erasure of indigenous folks, um, you know, uh, um, missing and murdered Indigenous women, you know, those harder to have conversations, right. uh, how, you know, many children lost their lives in the, in the so-called residential schools. You know, there's a tremendous amount of harms that, that we have experienced as Indigenous peoples. I mean, state violence is a thing in Canada, right? And which is fascinating because we as Canadian citizens don't associate state violence here. We associate it with some other part of the world, especially exactly. what's going on in the world today, right? Yes. So we need to call it what it is and it's state and structural violence against indigenous folks. That's why we're here. Why we're here is we as Canadians who pride ourselves in being kind and respectful and free, you know, we have to do some internal work as, as Canadian citizens, right? For people out there waving the Canadian flag and showing up and celebrating Canada day you know it's okay to have that pride but at the same time that pride comes with some responsibility as a citizen of, of the planet as a citizen of the globe right for human rights what we're really talking about we need to move our conversation from uh, systemic racism to really uh, respecting indigenous uh, rights um, moving away from racism to talking about rights right that's what we're really catching up on here. And I think that's exactly it, it's catch up. We're trying to catch up on a lot of the bad things uh, uh, of the past to transform them today. And I, I tell you, it's not all doom and gloom. The future is bright because the change is here and the change is happening. 
um, the kindergarten to grade 12 system has completely, you know, throughout their old curriculum and is now Indigenous knowledge, culture and peoples are embedded from kindergarten all the way to grade 12. Mm -hmm. Nurses and doctors and social workers are learning all about cultural safety and decolonization way before they even become physicians and nurses and, and professionals now. Um, so within that, you know, we, we are recovering from uh, the past uh, a lot quicker than I think that probably my elders or, or, you know, my ancestors probably ever anticipated. Yeah. Uh, so I hold that with some motivation and inspiration and just invite people to get in on this learning journey on what you can do, because what you can do, there's something that everybody can do, right? We, there's uh, uh, areas in our, our, our professional lives where we can all, in, all embed Indigenous cultural safety and humility. Thank you so much, Lynn. I, I just want to say I really admire your positivity, your hope. You bring hope in these messages of saying we can live together. Mm -hmm. we, can we, we can form really healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm hearing. This is, this is so hopeful. And I, I, I want to commend you so much for this learning invitation, this posture. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it demonstrates a humility, like you mentioned, that mm -hmm. is, that is feeling, it feel, feels safe for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so your, your message and your medium are matching up. And this is, mm. I believe, really important. Thank you for being on the podcast today. And uh, we'll continue our conversation with some more of the, well, how do we do this? Mm -hmm. What are some of the stories that can be models for us of how this can impact even local workplaces, mm -hmm. how we interact together. So yeah. again, thanks for, ha for, for having the time today, taking the time to be with us on the Fraser Valley Workcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Chika. Merci. Thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to sharing further with you in future episodes. The Fraser Valley Workcast is brought to you by WorkBC in Abbotsford and Mission and is funded by the Government of Canada and the Province of British Columbia. <laughs>